0: Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church. Discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello,
1: this is Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, and joining with me in the virtual studio is my co-host, my good friend, the man who's changing his middle name to Bacon. Uh, the one and only <laughs> Ken Hellanious. <laughs> Ken, how
0: you doing? I am very well. Would you believe it that I actually purchased bacon in uh, five-pound bags at the local uh, local Bacon Emporium? Real? Oh, Bacon
1: <laughs> Emporium. How? Wow.
0: Well, I mean, they sell other things, but I think of them really as a Bacon Emporium, because that just sounds like such a fancy word for a place that sells delicious, delicious bacon.
1: <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> That's awesome. How are you, Deacon? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, it's back into my uh, travel schedule, traipsing around uh, the United States here, preparing uh, at the end of the month to head to uh, Israel on pilgrimage.
0: Oh my gosh, that's yeah. right. What are, so you've been to Israel before, I know. Uh, what were some of the highlights of traveling to the Holy Land for you?
1: Well, for me, I think two things. One, being in the places where the gospel you know, in the gospels that they're they're, the place that they talk about in there and and being at the place where, you know, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist or being in a place where Christ was born in Bethlehem or sitting, uh, you know, listening to the gospel being read when, during the John six discourse, you know, in Capernaum And, and you're there, you know, and just being in those places where the gospel comes alive. And then the other part for me is the Psalms, you know, uh, the Psalms that you pray, pray every day came alive in a way that just because uh, it gives you a visual now, you know. So you have like the, these yeah. places in your mind that you pray in the Psalms, but now you're you're actually there and the land gave me a deeper connection to the to the word of God and to my own spirituality. So it just kinda really kinda gave a complete picture, you know, of of the uh, uh experience of, of Christ and, and our faith in a, in a very powerful way.
0: That is something that I really look forward to. I, I think there's going to be an opportunity soon for me to get to travel to the Holy Land myself, and I I'm looking forward to, like you say, being able to pin these stories to physical places.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's beautiful. So I, I I encourage everyone take an opportunity to go. You know, as they call it, the fifth gospel, and that's so true. That's oh, so uh, true. Yeah. Especially your, I mean, your deep is your experience of mass, because when you're hearing the readings at mass and in your mind like oh yeah I was there like oh yeah I could totally see this you know And when, when Jesus yeah. is describing something or why he's telling the story in this particular place and you say okay now I see why he used this setting to tell this story because you know because you're getting the whole sense experience as well so it really is it really is awesome.
0: Wow. And I mean, it kind of reminds me, we also need to pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in the Holy Land, because, you know, the church is very persecuted from all sides there. You know, and not just And when we say the church, we mean the people of God are persecuted for their faith from from uh, other people. Uh, faiths as well as you know there's political issues all of that kind of stuff and so pray for our brothers and sisters in the holy land uh who are walking in the footsteps of Christ so keep them in your prayers
1: yeah you yeah you know because there, there obviously there's been tensions and 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 fighting and conflict in the Middle east for some time uh for decades and the the, the it's it's typically between the the Israel state and Palestine and you know, Hezbollah and all that. But the, the, the thing is that the Christians who are not really involved in this are getting caught in the middle yeah. and they're being yeah. impacted by everything that's going on in that region. And so they're fleeing the region, which is tragic because here is the place where Christianity was born and and they're leaving, you know, so the people who were were there living there since the time of Christ are now um, are, are in a lot of ways feeling they have no choice but to leave. You know, which is sad and tragic. We need to do everything we can to support them. And one of them is by going on pilgrimage uh, because that really helps our, the Christians. It really helps the economy. It really helps them to keep the Catholic faith alive uh, in the yeah. land of Christ himself. So, uh, another aspect to that.
0: There you go. See, save the world by by actually traveling.
1: That's crazy. <laughs> there you go. But can be done, you know, if you have the means. That's it. So, you know, we're uh, continuing our, our wonderful discussion of uh, humani vitae. Paul VI's game-changing encyclical letter uh, published 50 years ago this year. And uh, we've been walking uh, through the document. And we are now on paragraph 16, beginning a section called Recourse to Infertile Periods. And uh, this is an important section because here Paul VI gets into why natural family planning is not contraception. You know, and because mm-hmm. yeah. again, that, that, that's a question in a lot of people's minds. Well, if you don't want to have babies. What's the difference between natural and artificial? What's the difference? Because the end is still the same. And we talked a little bit about that last time where I, toward the end of the show, talked about the principle of double effect. But here is where the Holy Father gets into a little more detail. In uh, the second paragraph there, he says, uh, therefore, we, there are well-grounded reasons for spacing births. Arising from the physical or psychological condition of the husband or wife, uh, well, and let's let's like let's kind of take a look at each of these. So, the sure. physical or psychological condition of the husband or wife. So uh, sometimes uh, you know after have we have four kids, and uh, sometimes birth can be traumatic, or um, you know f- sometimes physically there are things that happen. Um, there's mm-hmm. postpartum depression. There may be a lot of stress in that family, especially if the if there's a lot of little kids at you know in the house running around at the same time, or some still in diapers, or some body training, and some starting school. And there's a lot of factors there uh, that play into decisions whether to have more children at a particular time. What these aren't are excuses for not having children or contraceptives. You know, what we're talking about here is that's why he says spacing births. It's, right. not, it's not the same thing as not being open to births. He's talking about spacing the births.
0: Yeah. And doing so, as he says, responsibly and well-grounded reasons, not just whim.
1: Exactly. And he says uh, from external circumstances. So, for example, the one child policy in China, you know, um, having additional children could cause the death of that child or forced abortion or something like that. Um, So there may be um, conditions from outside, societal uh, conditions like in China that may be affecting that decision as well.
0: Or even economic, uh, you know, kind of pressures as well. A family maybe cannot um, afford at this time to uh, raise another child, you know, because of uh, limitations of the economic situation. uh, Or perhaps even, you know, they are unable to move and there's no room in their house. Uh, There are legitimate external uh, factors that can, uh, as again, as the church says, be a well grounded reason that uh, that they want to space the births, uh, rather than uh, have have children, you know, every time.
1: So economic factors could be something like they want a, a mom wants to stay home, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, they said, well, we 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 both have to work. Well, discussion might be, well, if that second income's from say mom going back to work. That's enough money to pay for childcare because who's going to take care of the kids while she's working? So you got right. so basically you're paying to put the kids in childcare. So what's what's the point? You know, so I mean, but these are discussions that a husband and wife need to have together. You know, mm-hmm. um, can we still stay at home and manage uh, things at home and, and maybe homeschool the kids and stuff like that on one income? You know, is it prudent to have another child this time when we have responsibility to take care of the children we already have? Again, not being close to having more children, but you're talking about at this particular time uh, is right. is the consideration here. Um, mm-hmm. To the church sees that married people may then take advantage of the natural cycles imminent in the reproductive system and engage in marital intercourse only during those times that are infertile. So we talked about this um, uh, over several shows about using that infertile period uh, during natural family planning which is basically most of the month <laughs> you know yeah. I, I think yeah. people you know think it's oh you're pregnant every day and it's just it's just not true um that's why i think it, we spent time going and the holy father spends time in this document going over understanding the physiology of the fertility cycle of a woman and, mm-hmm. and being able to work together as a as a team as husband and wife to uh determine when that time is happening and to say and to uh, choose not to use that fertile time. But and so the Holy Father here gives recourse to be able to use those infertile periods. Thus, controlling the birth and the wage does not in the least offend the moral principles which we have just explained. So I think that's a very important paragraph there.
0: I do too. And, you know, and what leads into this paragraph, which, because this right here is the core of what Humanae Vitae is really about, is that. We are, in, in this case, the church says, human intelligence has discovered these, these uh, cycles within human fertility. And these are inbuilt into the creator's design. And so in the previous paragraph, the, the last sentence of the, the previous paragraph is, the church is the first to praise and commend the application of human intelligence to an activity in which a rational creature, such as man, is so closely associated with his creator. So this is us as humans discovering how the creator invites us to co-create with him in uh, human fertility. We are using our intelligence to discover how this process Works, how the design works. But the church, the Holy Father says, but she affirms that this must be done within the limits of the order of reality established by God. So the church is praising science here. The church is praising our ability to use our intelligence to discover the laws that God has written into his creation. That's what's so important here. So this is as much a celebration of the fullness of our human uh, nature as it is a statement about human sexuality it's a discovery of this beauty this gift that god gives us and invites us to be co-creators with him
1: yeah absolutely and you know he goes on to say that neither the church nor her doctrine is inconsistent when she consider- considers it lawful for married people to take advantage of infertile period but condemns as always unlawful the youth of means which directly prevent contraception. So I think the problem people have is this word, use of the word lawful, you know, because they yes. think, yeah. Oh man, you know, the church is imposing these laws on me. You know, it's almost like, again, I think I used the word in a previous uh, episode, heteronymous, you know, it's a law that comes from the outside and imposes itself. But as you just so beautifully explained, we're talking about discovering the laws that God has written inside of us, inside of our yeah. hearts and bringing that law out so it's not something from the outside that's being forced on us it's it's discovering the beauty of the internal law that god has placed there and allowing that law to manifest itself in the everyday lived experience i think that's the key to what the holy father is saying
0: absolutely he's pointing out this fundamental difference between artificial methods and taking advantage of the natural cycles because the natural cycles respect the creator's design well uh, artificial methods right there in the title. They're artificial. They directly obstruct the design that God has placed into our bodies. And as you say, it's written in our hearts, not just in our hearts, but literally in our other bodily organs as well, right? In in our ovaries and in, in th- our hormones, all of this is built into the Creator's design naturally. And so to live in accordance with what God has designed is to respect that. And it's also to respect our created bodies. And we talked about this before, you know, we eat organic food and we get rid of bisphenol A in our drinking cups and all these sorts of things because we want to be more pure. How much more pure can you get than to actually work in accordance with our bodies as they are designed, even when it comes to fertility?
1: Exactly, and you know, let's, let's go a little a little deeper here. People listening to the discussion, you know, some people may say, "Well, I don't trust that." You know, um, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I'd rather have a pill or a barrier or something because then I know that something's not going to happen. You know, I mean, sure. that that could be a rationale for some people. So, but let's think a little deeper. So, what do you? So, what is that act saying? I think one of the things that I love about Paul, this, this approach here is that he, he kind of lays this little groundwork for theology of the body and that our bodies are speaking a language of love and intimacy and communion with God. So our bodies are not a language unto ourselves. This language is, 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 speaks in a relationship of love and intimacy with God. So by saying, well, I need to take a pill. I need to use this other device. What are we actually saying then? Are we saying we don't trust God? Are we saying that our ways are greater than God's ways? Are, 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 are we are we saying right. that you know God has written these laws in our heart? I don't care about that. I'm gonna I'm gonna impose my own law. Oh, so, I mean, so we, we you just can't say that I'm using this because I I, I you know uh, you have to think of what's a deeper question here? What w- how does this act speak to our ultimate relationship with God and our trust yeah. in God's providence?
0: Yeah, it's this idea of communication right? I mean, our sexuality is a communication with another. And when we use a barrier method, be it a condom or something like that, or we use uh, a pill to control our body, what we are saying is, I'm going to communicate with you everything, but I'm going to hold essentially kind of like a secret from you. I'm going to give you everything except this of me. Um, And that is to not fully communicate yourself, you know, and human sexuality is, you know, we are entirely laid bare before the person we are with, you know, and yet to use, you know, uh, to not make a full and complete gift of ourselves in that is to say, I'm going to give you everything but this.
1: Yeah, exactly, and 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 that act points toward ultimately, uh, not a physical union, but but that act itself speaks to. a a love and intimacy that we'll be experiencing with God forever in heaven. It it points toward that. Um, You know, and and you think of the ultimate act on earth of Jesus dying on the cross, completely being exposed, completely giving his love, not holding back anything of himself from us. You know, Mm -hmm. it's almost saying Jesus saying, well, I'm giving everything except dying for you. You know, I'm willing to give everything to you. I'm giving you my words. I'm giving you everything the Father has said to me. I've not held anything back that the Father wanted me to share. Oh, yeah, but I'm holding this piece back. I'm not going to die for you. You know, wow. You know, that, <laughs> you see? And, and so in, in this act, then, it's conjugal act as a dying to self, you know, because mm-hmm. it's that death to self that brings about the life of another. And that's the same thing. Jesus died to bring life for us. And in that act, we die to ourselves. In fact, in French, there's, I forget what the word is, but it's called, the conjugal act is called little death.
0: Le petit mort.
1: Is that, oh, see, little okay, death. Daddy, little death, yeah. Yep. And and so yep. this is, again, this is beautiful sense of that act in, in, in all its intenseness and all its intimacy, there's a death there mm-hmm. um, because it's in that death that the life of another comes through because you're dying to yourself. You're dying to selfishness. You're dying to being closed. You're, 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 you're dying to the way that the world thinks you know and and all of that it's it's incredibly beautiful um yeah and
0: and, and, and joyful i mean yes. we, we need to acknowledge this is joyful and and the holy father even said that from the beginning of this letter he's like look our our gift of sexuality is an experience of great joy for married couples and it really genuinely is you know because you feel a total connection a total sense of literal communion with your spouse in in the marital act and this is something that then increases your closeness to one another because it's a self-communication and it says i love you such that i am willing to be entirely uh, entirely as you say a small death to die a small death with you and for you
1: yeah exactly it's beautiful stuff man
0: Well, and this paragraph ends with this. I mean, the Holy Father says the same thing. They use their married intimacy to express their mutual love and safeguard their fidelity toward one another. In doing this, they certainly give proof of a true and authentic love. And this is not just in the marital act itself, but even when we are acknowledging the natural rhythms and cycles that are built into our fertility. It is to know the other so intimately that we know our spouse and ourselves uh, such that we can control ourselves. Uh, and this is what we're going to see in a, in a few paragraphs. Uh, not won't get to it tonight, of course, but um, we're going to see where we're talking about self-discipline which actually increases our knowledge of again ourselves and our spouse, increasing that communion, that respect for one another and for ourselves as well.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting how he, how this is phrased um, to safeguard their fidelity toward one another. you know And, and when you think about couples that are unfaithful, uh, one spouse is not faithful to the other. there's often something that's missing from that relationship that they're trying to find in this other person. And they think that well I'm not getting this from my spouse so I can find whatever this is in this other person. And it's interesting how he talks about how this uh, married intimacy not only expresses mutual love but safeguards the fidelity towards one another. You know? Uh, yeah,
0: because those acts of infidelity are never really just about the physical attraction. Right. It's about a lack of true communion with your spouse, which includes communication. It does include physical attraction, but it's never just about physical attraction.
1: Right. You know, and what I love about this is that when he, when he talks about this fidelity toward one another, you know, I love this time to seek the face of the Lord and yearn for him. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we lose this sense of God in our spouse. And so in a sense, we're, we're seeking deeper intimacy with god but we but and sometimes we think our spouse can fulfill that and they can't <laughs> you see yeah. you see what i yeah. mean yeah and so we we think that well my spouse can fulfill everything with me but you can't god has to be the one to fulfill everything so you, you, as much as i love my wife I, she can't fulfill everything in my life only god can do that
0: which is beautiful yeah you know? yeah, that that uh, is kind of a realization that I had early on in my marriage, even before i i we we married. I had that same thought. I was like, this is still this is going to be delightful, and it has been. um and it remains. But it's still shy of the communion with God, that only God can fulfill that hole in my heart, in the human heart. Just a few weeks ago, we had the Feast of St. Augustine. You know, and Saint Augustine, of course, is very famous for having say, said, you know, you have made our made us for you, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you, and that's that's so true.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Well, I know we're we're kind of close to the end of the show, but um,
0: yeah, but I think we may have time to kind of begin to, yeah. to touch upon this next paragraph because it's so important. We've been talking about. In the fullness of married love, uh, when it when we are taking advantage of and recognizing and utilizing um, the natural cycles that are built into the body, the flip side is well, what's the difference? Why can't we just, uh, you know, with intention? Uh, you know, say that we have a proper intention, why can't we use artificial means? And the Holy Father goes on in paragraph 17 to really kind of address what he sees as the dangers of the use of artificial methods, even if we delude ourselves by by saying, oh, well, we're doing this uh, in the same spirit that we would uh, if we just didn't use barrier methods or the pill or anything like that. And the critical one, and it builds upon what we were just saying, is, uh, Paul says, Paul the sixth says that artificial birth control will open wide the way for marital infidelity and a general lowering of moral standards. We're beginning to get here into uh, what uh, the the essayist uh, Mary Eberstadt refers to as the prophetic witness of Paul VI in Humanae Vitae. The prophetic power of of Humanae Vitae really comes in this paragraph seventeen, because here he's talking about what will happen to worldwide society if artificial contraception becomes widespread, which it has over the last fifty years.
1: Yeah, and I think it's going to be interesting to go through. And see how prophetic uh Pope Paul VI uh, was and how important this document is, especially for our time today. And I mean our time, meaning this time and this era, you know, 50 years later, and seeing right. coming to fruition uh everything here that that we're gonna get into, um uh talking about the effects of putting self uh, and, and and following again that that our own laws instead of Ah uh, uniting our wills and our and our laws with God's laws, you know yeah. And, and st- yeah, instead of a separation there instead of a union.
0: Yeah, so this idea that um, men, particularly, will re- will disregard the reverence that's due to women. And as he says, reduce her to being a mere instrument for the satisfaction of his own desires. And this really cuts to the core of that, that idea of marital infidelity, right? Because if I am treating my spouse as merely a way to be pleasured myself with no, no regard for her, then any there are many ways to fulfill that. It doesn't require that I be married to this person. It doesn't require that it be a human. It doesn't require that it be a woman. If I'm really just trying to be satisfied uh, and pleased, then there doesn't have to be a connection. It just merely needs to be a physical act. And the Holy Father says that's what's going to happen once we no longer are are um, viewing human sexuality as a true communion uh, in which we know and discover and communicate with one that we are bound to our spouse. That's right. And
1: I love the way he phrased that discarding her physical and emotional equilibrium. I love yeah. that. Yeah. See, it's about all about balance and perspective. Um, when we put God first, then we have the, then we have again, equilibrium means things are, are equal. You know, he's talking yeah. about this, and yeah. which John Paul II, we as we talked about Moliere Signitatem, Dignity and Vocation of Women, talks about that beautiful equilibrium between man and woman. And so that's, again, foreshadowed here in this beautiful document from uh, Pope Paul VI. Sixth.
0: Yeah it's uh it's uh this man who of course you know this weekend is going to be canonized a saint uh uh, at mass on october 4th he's uh or not october 4th but uh but actually i guess it's in a week isn't it um blessed paul the sixth will soon be saint paul the sixth so we can we can call upon his prayers uh and and help us you know, really call upon him to invoke the Lord to bless the church and to bless particularly married couples, married couples that are, um, you know, that want to be faithful to this uh, guidance that he gives here in in Humanae Vitae, but also married couples who maybe have fallen and who uh, or maybe are seeking to um, stop using artificial contraception, couples that are seeking to actually become pregnant call upon the saints and we're going to talk in the next few weeks, uh, since we've come to the end of our time tonight, we'll talk about these um, kind of supports that the church has for couples. Um, but we really, uh, we really have to end here tonight because uh, because we've run out of time Deacon, as we usually do.
1: Well, how can people stay in touch with us, Ken, and, and be able to listen to uh, our shows?
0: Well, they can go to modern dayradio.com uh, to download all the previous episodes, uh, we're under the uh, programming tab there uh, under Living Stones. You can also go to livingstonesmedia.org, where we uh, have some links to both this document and to uh, that essay by Mary Aberstadt from First Things on the prophetic power of Humanae Vitae. Uh, so we have some resources there as well. If you're on Twitter, you can go to at Catholic Stones. And we're also on Facebook. Just type in Living Stones and uh, you'll find us. Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing?
1: Sure. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold
1: Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to materdayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.